Welcome to The Lead, a podcast by New Lines Magazine, where we delve into the biggest ideas, events, and personalities from around the world. I'm Kwango Diwewe. It's been 16 months since Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, igniting the largest armed conflict in Europe since World War II. Due to this conflict, Africa has seen the rising of fuel and food prices, inflation, and financial instability. But apart from these disruptions, the continent is also facing a geopolitical tug of war, which has brought into question the neutrality of some African states. Africa has largely maintained its non-aligned stance in the conflict, with a substantial number of countries abstaining in five United Nations resolutions since the conflict started. African leaders from South Africa, Congo Brazzaville, Egypt, Senegal, Uganda, and Zambia went to Kiev and Moscow to negotiate a peace deal and held talks with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky and Russian President Vladimir Putin. The mission was unsuccessful as both sides gave firm refusals when it came to calling a ceasefire. So what exactly did Africa bring to the table in these mediation efforts and did the continent have enough clout to get the warring sides to negotiate? To explore this further, I'm joined by Reedy Tlabi, who is a South African broadcaster, author, and award-winning journalist. Welcome to The Lead, Reedy. Thank you so very much. It's a joy to be with you. My other guest is Hopo Chinono, who is a Zimbabwean award-winning documentary filmmaker and international journalist. Welcome, Hopewell. Thank you very much for having me. So, Reedy, I'll start with you. Let's look at South Africa. Now, this is widely seen as a regional superpower on the continent. It now appears to be stuck between a rock and a hard place, and I'm making reference to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. In one breath, South Africa says they are non-aligned and have repeatedly abstained from UN resolution addressing this war. Now, a spate of events has, however, raised questions about South Africa's neutrality. We've seen naval drills with Russia and China, coinciding with the first anniversary of the war. Then, of course, there was the Lady B debacle, where a Russian cargo ship anchored at a naval base near Cape Town. Now, the latest is the possibility of Vladimir Putin attending a BRICS summit with an ICC arrest warrant on his head. In your view, is South Africa really neutral when it comes to this war? I think that all pretense of neutrality has just been shared repeatedly by South Africa. They cannot make pretense of neutrality because being non-aligned at a time like this means that you don't favor one, I'll use the term superpower because it feels as if we are in a Cold War era where Africa was kind of the platform for the projection of power between the superpower Soviets and the Americans. So I use it in that context. The fact of the matter is that the non-aligned movement of that time had a historical basis. There were some numbers and factual matters that could be put on the table to justify non-alignment. But I think that South Africa has been very dishonest in terms of what it claims to be a non-alignment, whereas our sympathies seem to gravitate more towards Russia and we use that Soviet, his, Soviet history to justify those historical link. We are also facing a moral crisis when it comes to neutrality at a time like this. So I'm saying two things. I'm saying that the non-alignment or neutrality is a farce because our actions have proven that there's a gravitation towards Russia. On the second front, even if we were non-aligned or neutral, whatever term you want to use, we cannot morally justify this 
as a country that needed other, other, other nations to support our fight against apartheid. Foreign policy is not just about trade. It's not just about political ties. It is also about moral standing at a time of war when there is a state that is projection, projecting its power and we, we, we claim that we, we have neutrality at a time like that. I don't think that can be justified. Hopo, jump in there. Is South Africa neutral or are they being hypocritical? Uh, well, I don't think South Africa has ever hidden the side that it supports. It definitely supports Russia and it has explained that it supports Russia on the basis that Russia supported it during the apartheid regime. But that is a very dishonest response and it doesn't have nuance. South Africa, or rather the ANC, was supported by the Soviet Union, which included Ukraine. And that support was based on the fact that it was a proxy. The Soviet Union was fighting the United States of America, so the apartheid regime was close to the United States of America. So invariably, it it made sense for the Union uh, of Soviet Socialist Republics to support the ANC and many other liberation organizations. That said, today we've got a crisis where a country has been invaded and every country should have a set of values in regards to specific issues. And this is a specific issue of importance. A country has been uh, invaded. Do you stand aside and watch? How neutral are you? Do you actually participate in things that are seen to be aiding the war? Do you make uh, bellicose statements about why you're doing certain things? Are you prepared to sacrifice your economy and with that the lifestyles and quality of life for your citizens in order to appease a a government that has invaded another country, a government that refuses to follow international law? So I think in that instance with all these questions that I've posed rhetorically, it shows that South Africa has really lost the moral compass. Okay, Reedy, you were recently in South Africa. I'd like to find out what is the public perception in support of this war or are they against it? And also just zoning into the Putin issue about him attending the BRICS summits in August. So, you know, it depends which sections of South Africa you speak to, Kwangu. At a very nuanced level, South Africans are commenting robustly about this hypocrisy that Hopewell and I agree on. They are also commenting robustly about the negative implications on trade. I mean, just today, I see in the newspapers, our Minister of International Relations says that, you know, implies that we are willing to lose uh, trade, beneficial trade relations. And of course, we are beneficiary of AGOA, by which the United States assists in terms of investments and trade and so on. And if you look at the pushback against the minister, the AMC, that's the ruling party, and the South African government's position, the, the analysis has been nuanced and critical in academia, in the media. People really grasp and understand the debilitating costs of our affiliation to Russia. So if you speak to that section of society, you will find very robust and critical engagement. 
You can also speak to civil society who work within the prism and framework of human rights, and they understand the impact of a rogue state or aligning with the rogue state and what those implications are. It is that moral argument again. If you speak to those sectors of society, they will tell you that South Africa is losing its direction. But if you really go to the kind of populist strata of society, we mustn't forget that we are living in that world where there is a lot of rhetoric, a lot of populism. You will find a lack of nuance, I think. It is conversations framed in an anti-West sentiment. And of course, there's a lot for which we can criticize the West. So the hypocrisy of the United States, for example, when it comes to interference on the continent, regime change in some countries, the hypocrisy of the United States itself to support some dictators when it suits its foreign interests, but to condemn others, the hypocrisy of the United States where it is seen as a hegemon that is dominating the rest of the world. So you will find those kind of uh, sentiments which are not irrelevant. They are not irrelevant. There is some historical anxiety and and, and cynicism when it comes to the United States intentions as a superpower itself, as a country that has started war. You will also find in those kind of left-leaning commentary, you know, questions around the Palestinian question, that why is it that the Israel can, can act in a particular way without any form of censor? Why is it that some crises demand um, this kind of robust uh, criticism? Why not the United States? So the double standards, you will find that. But then you will find um, the populist area that Hopewell hinted to when, when he reminded us that historically, it's not Russia that supported the anti-apartheid and the anti-colonial movements of Angola and you know in, in, in other parts in the in, in the Congo and so on. It isn't Russia; it's the Soviet Union, which included Ukraine. But for some reason, Russia has been so successful in capturing the narrative and spreading a pro-Russian narrative of its engagement with with Africa, not just South Africa, with Africa during the Cold War. It has presented itself as the savior that supported anti-colonial movements in South in, in, in Africa. And even that history needs critical engagement because it isn't true that Russia just gave unqualified support. It isn't true that its engagement with Africa was completely successful. There were areas where there were serious losses. And then if you look at Zimbabwe, hopefully, hopefully if you don't mind using your country, the Soviets backed the wrong, not wrong in a sense of a moral and political argument, but they were backing Joshua Ngomo. And the party that prevailed was the party of uh, Robert Mugabe. In the Congo, they were backing Patrice Lumumba. Uh, and of course, the party that prevailed was Mobutu Sese Soko in cahoots with the CIA and uh, the Americans. So what I'm trying to say is that this history is layered and it is complex. African countries and supporters of Russia are correct when asking about Western hypocrisy. They will be correct when using the Congo as indicative of a historical hypocrisy that we had uh, democratic elections we chose our prime minister, you assassinated him and propped up a dictator in the form of Mobutu Sesseko. So you can't come here and preach morality. But then we need to decide as nations, to what extent are we hostages of history? Can we deal then with a different foreign policy that is not about regime change assassinations and that is also not about embracing dictators just because they supported us in the past? So there you will find, I think, a lack of nuance, a lack of engagement with historical facts and Soviet nostalgia, this kind of being in ecstasy around the, 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 the heroic 
engagement of the Soviets with Africa. It is anything but heroic. It is complex, it is entangled, and it also has some self-serving interests on, on Russia's side. Interesting points, really, that you've brought up. Hope I'll just come in here and just talk about the Balancing Act. How does Africa face or deal with this Balancing Act when we look at East versus West? I think what Africa should have been engaged on is, is, is the value system. Instead of choosing a side on the basis of the, the, the historical stories that are often rejected by both Russia and African leaders, we should look at the moral compass that we choose to use. But unfortunately, Russia's moral compass fits very well with the African leaders' moral compass. A lot of African regimes are dictatorships. They brutalize their own citizens. They, they rob and steal from their own citizens. They loot public funds. They plunder the country's natural resources. The very same type of leadership that we see today in, 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 in Russia. If you look at what's happening today in, in Africa in regards to this issue, it's, it's actually, Africa has been exposed because 85% of Africa's food comes from outside outside Africa. And the two key countries that provide this, this food is Ukraine and it's also Russia. So it's so embarrassing for our leadership to be tracking up and down on the basis of a, a, a historical narrative that we were helped uh, 40, 50 years ago without taking into context what is happening today. Would it be okay if another country came and invaded a country that we support and we failed to do something about it because the country that is invaded, that country that we support, once helped us uh, 40, 50 years ago? The other problem that we have is the, I think, lack of nuance that already uh, talked about. I, it's, it's, it's pathetic for, uh, I would say, part of the media and also opinion makers to decide that they are going to support this side or the other side on, 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 the, on, the, on the basis of all those things that we've talked about, except for, for morality. When you look at what the foreign affairs minister, the international relations minister of South Africa has said, these are political elites. They don't care because at the end of the day, if Agoa is pulled out from South Africa, it means that the poor are the ones that are going to bear the brunt of um, a, a difficult economy. If you look at the South African uh, economy today, its first biggest trading partner is China, followed by the United States of America. And I think the, the other three or four countries that follow are allies of the United States of America. If you look at where Russia fits in, it's not even in the top 25 trading partners of, of South Africa. South Africa does more business with Eswatini or with Soto than it does with Russia. But what is at play here, Kwang, is a situation where Russia has been able to go into African countries, especially dictatorships, and support ruling parties especially during, during elections, ruling parties like ZANU-PF, ruling parties like the ANC. And then decisions are made by these ruling parties on a national basis. And yet, 
the, the, the reason for making these decisions uh, is very partisan. They are friends of Russia at a party a political level, but they drag every one of us into these uh, forays, into these decisions, and they end up affecting all of us. So, for instance, if you look at, uh, at, 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 at AGOA, it has created over 62,000 jobs in South Africa. If those 62,000 jobs gone because South Africa has decided to support Russia, it is the ordinary people in South Africa that are going to suffer. If you look at quality of life that our elites live, they live off the taxes of the poor. So they don't care. So I think it's important for the media, both in South Africa and the rest of the continent, to be able to put out information that is nuanced and that is simple to understand so that citizens can punish governments that make deliberate decisions that come back to affect ordinary Let's citizens. move on to the mediation efforts Africa is about to undertake. With the war in Sudan happening, insurgencies and instability in the Sahel region and instability in the DRC as well. This is just mentioning a few conflicts in Africa. Why is Africa getting involved when its own backyard is on fire? <laughs> ah, that's a very good question. I think that we often want to project this, this identity as uh, a regional force, as a force to be reckoned with when it comes to global politics. I do think that when it comes to foreign policy, there is also ego and projection of power, just sending the message that we are a force to be reckoned with. I also do think, though, that not all of African countries are supporting Russia. That's important to to look at. The, the countries that abstained at the UN at the UN vote and others whose neutrality is, you know, is far more clear and justifiable than South Africa with, with its hypocrisy. You can think of countries such as Kenya and Rwanda and Ghana and Botswana, who, you know, it, it is important when we argue that we we do mention that. Africa is not a monolithic uh, continent. We are not always in agreement and there is const contestation even within Africa. There are countries that recognize that they need the United States for, for, their, for their survival as well. And so I think that you know, these kind of mediation efforts sometimes also show the different contestation within Africa. We also have the African Union, which obviously doesn't want to be an irrelevant regional force. You cannot be in, in, in the 21st century where there's a war and an organization as formidable as the African Union is basically missing in action. But the third thing that I do want to say is that we are seeing those African countries that want to mediate actually demonstrating a level of self-interest. What do I mean by that? They know they need the United States, but they also want whatever it is that they are getting from Russia, whether it is uh, you know, bilateral relations uh, st uh, structured around sourcing of natural resources, whether it is about uh, buying cheaper military equipment, and these things are not hypothetical, they're, they're happening. So I think we have a situation where Africa, some African countries think we can't afford to, be, to lose all friends, and so we are going to appear as peacemakers so that we keep our relationship with the West, we keep our relationship with, with the United States, but at the same time, we don't lose a state that we have identified as our friend, and that is Russia. The last thing I want to say on that is that, you know, the, the engagement of Russia with Africa is transactional. Russia is getting a lot out of this, as Hopewell alluded to. But Africa, especially rogue nations, have also received something at a diplomatic level, and that is when it comes to the United Nations Security Council and the General Assembly, 
Africa in the General Assembly, Africa makes a huge voting block. So Russia needs those African uh, blocks. But we know that Africa does not have a permanent seat in the UN Security Council. And that is a sore point for a lot of African countries. And that is why Russia will continue to score some points. If you don't democratize multilateral nations, you leave a gap for rogue nations such as Russia to exploit that exclusion, which is a fact. The exclusion of Africa in these multilateral uh, institutions is a fact. So I think Russia is exploiting that. But on the rogue nations, they have benefited from having Russia there because Russia has kind of prevented in Security Council censoring dictatorships and rogue African nations. Russia has offered that particular support by protecting those African states. So you have a very interesting situation where Africa is trading with the West, but they need Russia or some African countries, they need Russia for their own self-interest benefits. And that explains why they are trying to, to, to mediate. The recent meeting highlighted Africa's interest in ending the war, which essentially was to end the economic disruptions it's caused. What were her chances of succeeding? Well, Africa's chance is hinge on what Russia wants to do. My view is that African countries have decided to be part of this process, probably because Russia now wants a deal, but it does not want to give the credit of having secured a deal to the West. It would rather give it to Africa. And giving it to Africa, it's not uh, just for free. Africa will have to repay food that is uh, is not uh, through coming from the continent and things like that. And most of it comes from Ukraine um, and and Russia. So it's also a self-interest project for for Africa to make sure that if a deal is struck, food can start coming in in huge quantities as it used to be. The, The price of food has gone up on the continent because of this. And this also destabilizes the regimes across the continent. So it's, it's a self-interest project. But more importantly, I think it's, it's going to be a difficult situation to get a deal if the other side feels that Africa is being used in an opportunistic way. And as we all know from our history, these things don't end with the end of the war. Along the way, people will continue punishing each other. That is why I worry about the intervention of countries that are, are, are as big as South Africa. I'm grateful that countries like Kenya have decided to do the right thing and not go gung-ho and be seen to be supporting an aggressor in this war. Mm-hmm. Can I just add there, Kuru? I mean, what Hopewell said is, is so important. We must remember that you know, there, there were in, in South Africa is disjointed. There were 52 countries that did not vote in favor of the resolution, of course, to you know to condemn Russia, but half of which were African nations. In the second vote, just 19% of African states voted to suspend Russia from the UNHRC. And I think, Hopewell, it's important that we mention those countries. They are in the minority. I mean, 19% is a small minority. But they are voting, they are taking the chances, and they are taking a human race, a human rights-based foreign policy stance, those 19% of African states that are voting to suspend Russia from the UNHRC. Reedy, you're currently in the US. Is the Africa-led mediation a talking point at all? I mean, we've seen an interest in the Sudan Peace Initiative spearheaded by the US and Saudi Arabia. But what about this African initiative? Is anybody talking about it in the US? No, I don't think so. I don't think that people think that Africa is 
I said earlier that it's important for Africa to be seen in diplomatic circles as far as the reputation of the African Union, but I don't think that anyone expects that there will be any sort of, of outcome to that. I think the forces and factors that have led to this war are far more complicated than what Africa can can influence. I don't think that Africa will be able to prevail or anybody's expressing any level of, 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 of confidence that the African mediation will, will yield fruit. Why do I say that? I say that because from an economic and military muscle point of view, Africa has very little uh, to offer in this particular uh, conflict. And secondly, you, you, you know, foreign policy is such a strange thing. Russia can be at war with Ukraine. It can enjoy condemnation from the likes of the United States. But here you are, you have Germany initially not not supporting sanctions, even though they are against Russia in the war. They're not supporting sanctions because they are relying on Russian on, on Russia. They support sanctions, but to an extent, they are relying on Russian gas. And this war has exposed the EU's own fragility and dependency on Russia. The point I'm trying to make is that it's not a clear cut position where a country would, would condemn Russia and follow through at every level of that condemnation. Germany or other countries within the EU, they'll condemn Russia, but then they need Russia. So they maintain some sort of diplomatic, you know, uh, interaction with Russia. You've got India, which is part of the BRICS, but India has not really thrown itself in there supporting Russia openly. They're looking after their own foreign uh, policy and interests, and they are maintaining their cordial relationships with, with, with Western nations. I'll use another example to get to my point, and that is you have China and India as part of the BRICS nation. But they have their own border war between themselves. So they are allies in one aspect, but they are adversaries in one aspect. So Africa is not going into these clear-cut relationships where there's good and bad, where there are enemies and friends. There are entanglements which are complicated, which are far more complicated than what Africa has to offer. So I think from that point of view, you know, a lot of diplomacy is also performative. It is about performance. It is about being seen to be engaging with a particular international issue. But whether or not a country is influential is, 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 is debatable. And I think from that point of view, the level of interest and commentary into Africa's efforts is, is quite muted. Nobody thinks that we will, or Africa will, will achieve anything. So Hopal, you are in the UK now. Has this effort, Africa's effort, is it on the British radar? Are they talking about it? What are they saying, if anything at all? No, it's it's not being reported at all in the British press. I've never come across it for the few days that I've been here. I think the the problem, as Red said, they look at the strength that you possess as a continent. What 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 can Africa put on the table that can tip the scales and make the people that are in this war say, "Oh, Africa, we need this from Africa. We have to listen to Africa." There's very little. And as we said again, if you look at China, China is the second biggest power economically and militarily on the on the on, on the face of the earth. And yet it has been very careful about how it deals with this issue. It has weapons, it has never openly given weapons to Russia because it says that it's important to maintain relations with both the East and the West. The problem that we have in Africa, Kwango, is that most of our leaders, most of our dictators on the continent tend to the East, countries like Russia and China, not for pragmatic reasons, but because they've been cornered, they do not want to do certain things that require trade 
with the West, for instance, issues of human rights. Russia doesn't care about human rights. China doesn't care about human rights. So when they say we are turning East, is what Zimbabwe did 20 years ago and what South Africa is, is talking about now, it seems they never learned anything from Zimbabwe. They are saying so because they are saying we, 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 we have failed to have a relationship with you on our own terms terms that might not be necessarily good to our own citizens. So we are turning to these rogue nations that are prepared to do deals with us without asking any pertinent questions about how we treat our own citizens. Now, the problem with that is when you, when you turn to a country like China and it knows that you are desperate and it knows that you are turning to it because you have destroyed your relationship with the Western bloc, you get a raw deal because they know that there's no way else for you to turn to. So I, I always wonder whether our leaders think through before they make statements like what Dr. Pandu made, I think it was today or yesterday, when she said they don't care about the effects of their breakdown of relationship with America, even if it affects trade, because uh, that trade affects ordinary people. It's about human beings and it's about uh, life and death. And so I, I hope that in, as they engage, they engage with that in mind. But, you know, you can't expect that from rogue regimes uh, or dictatorships like the one we have in Zimbabwe. Now, the one to watch is with regards to Putin attending the BRICS summit in South Africa in August. It was interesting to hear the ANC Secretary General Fikile Mbalula question what he called the ICC selective stance when it comes to investigations. He questioned why investigations into crimes against humanity and war crimes in places like Iraq and Afghanistan are moving at a snail's pace, and yet Putin's was rushed. Now, looking at this from an African perspective through an African lens, what are your thoughts on this? You know, Kwangu, I think people like Fidel Mbalula, I mean, he's not the brightest spark in the room, to be honest. And I don't think that they, they pay fidelity to history and facts when they make these utterances. The fact of the matter is that us being signatories to the ICC, and by that I mean South Africa or any African country, was a voluntary act. Nobody held a gun to our head and said we shall become signatories. That the US is not a signatory is a different debate altogether. And I've certainly in my work challenged and questioned the hypocrisy of the, of the United States. And we know the war on Iraq and all that history. It doesn't make the US right. The problem is there's a narrow mindedness when approaching these debates. Two things can be true at the same time. We are signatories to the ICC and we must abide by its protocols. The second thing that is true is that that was a voluntary act. On the other hand, the United States is not a signatory. That on its own, is worth criticizing. That demonstrates hypocrisy, but it doesn't change the fact that the signatories have to abide by the rules that they volunteered towards. If we didn't recognize the ICC, if we think that our presence there is problematic, then we should withdraw. Why are we not withdrawing? Why are we saying, but the US, but the US, but the US? It's not relevant to the decision of African countries to be signatories and then being under obligation to act according to the dictates of the ICC. The US absence is a totally different uh, conversation altogether. It's not, yeah, it's not relevant to whether or not Africa adheres by the rules of the ICC. Secondly, you know, you can repeat something until it loses its meaning and it becomes a slogan rather than incisive commentary. Hypocrisy, 
the cases that are at the ICC that have to deal with African dictators and 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 those who have broken the law, crimes against humanity, were brought there by citizens of those countries themselves. It's not the West that is charging a, a former warlord or somebody who was involved in the genocide in Rwanda. It is those countries that have brought those cases to the ICC. So it's not the United States. So what, what is the hypocrisy there? And the third thing around, you know, uh, uh, Putin attending the BRICS summit and so on, these things are not complicated. You are a signatory to the ICC. There's a warrant of arrest for this person. As a member state, you are obliged to act in accordance. If the rules and the tactics of the ICC no longer suit you as a state, then make a decision and withdraw and let's see what happens. Hope or your take on the uh, Putin debacle? Well, as, as Reedy said, South Africa signed up voluntarily and they signed up after having read the rules. And one of the rules and regulations is that when a member state is aware of somebody who has been indicted by the ICC and that person comes to that member state's territory, they're supposed to arrest him. So it's up to South Africa whether they want to do an al-Bashir again. The former dictator of Sudan who came to South Africa when President Zuma was in charge and nothing was done about it. And it's very chilling and worrying to, it should be very chilling and worrying to South Africans because what it means is that if their government is prepared not to follow the rule of law and, 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 and allow Putin to come and go without without dealing with the issues as, as they are prescribed by the law. It means next time when the ANC is cornered, it will do the same when dealing with, with citizens. I, I, I have been to jail three times because I'm dealing with a government in my country which does not follow the rule of law. And South Africa is lucky in the sense that the ANC has not done that yet. But it's because it has not been tested the way ZANU-PF was tested. When South Africa or South Africans become really fed up with the ANC and it starts losing elections, it can start doing those bad things and abusing the rule of law and not following court judgments. So it's a bad start if they allow him to come in and out. I think if I were part of the South African government, I would quietly ask President Putin to stay away or I would ask another member country of the BRICS to host this meeting. This, this sort of boisterous and, 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 and bellicose announcements by people like Fikile Mbalula, they, they expose what we have always known but we didn't have evidence of, that you know, Russia supports political parties on the continent, ruling political parties. And these ruling political parties, they feel obliged to, to, to play Russia's game because if they don't do that, they will be reminded that we gave you money. And as Ray said again, there's the issue of the Security Council. A lot of issues that are brought to the Security Council are pushed away by Russia and China on behalf of African dictatorships. So they feel that they owe something to, to, to Russia or to China. South Africa hasn't been put in that situation yet, but this is a big test for South Africa to see whether the South African government is ready to regress and be seen as part of the wild, wild west in Africa or is going to follow the rules and regulations of a body that it signed up to. Okay, Ridi, Hopo, thank you very much for your insights. Thanks indeed. Thank you. Lovely to chat to you, Kwango and Hopo. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you very much.
This has been The Lead, a podcast by New Lines Magazine. You can find Reedy on Twitter at ReedyClavy and Hopel at Daddy Hope. This week's episode was produced by Joshua Martin and hosted by me, Kwangodiwewe. For more like this, subscribe to The Lead on your favorite podcast app or visit our website, newlinesmag.com. Thank you all for joining us.